This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. Bobby Jania, Vice President of Product Marketing at Salesforce, understands how to look at a potential problem, reframe it, and utilize it as an asset. His ability to understand technical nuance, thanks to a degree in computer engineering, qualifies him as a leader in this space. Understanding the basics of how things are made and then taking a step back to look at the way those little details are fitting together to fulfill the mission of the company is one of the big reasons why Bobby is where he is today as a marketer. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Bobby joined me and discussed where marketers might be going wrong as they implement customer-facing AI. His can-do attitude, despite adverse circumstances, means more productivity around the clock as employees in different continents are able to keep work going when the sun sets over the US. We're leveraging the fact that there are people in Japan and in Australia and in the UK on the team. And it's not a barrier anymore, but for some stuff, when I log off, I know they're gonna pick it up and it kind of continues on through. Keep that train of progress moving forward. That's the Bobby Jania way. We uncover some nuance from the annual Salesforce State of Marketing report and see how marketers across the board are really revamping the way they work in their craft. All this up next on Marketing Trends. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron. And today I'm super honored to have the Vice President of Product Marketing at Salesforce, Bobby Jania. What's happening, Bobby? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. And you have a pretty cool background. I mean, coming from this kind of comp sci world, you know, at the University of Illinois and kind of from comp sci to now head of 
you know, product marketing at Salesforce. There's a lot of twists and turns. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to hear from you on that, but thanks for being here. Just give us a little context of that, kind of how you got to here, and then we'll dive into the marketing report and some good marketing stuff. Yeah, well, you know, in high school, I wanted to be an architect. Ah. And I love design. And I love all of that. And then candidly, I realized you don't make a whole lot of money as an architect unless you get your own firm. And I just was like, that's, that didn't feel like it was in the cards for me. Uh, and so it was, you know, kind of, it was the nineties and I'm like, well, what else is hot? And I ended up going computer engineering and throughout college, I was, you know, oh, I'll be an engineer for four or five years and then I'll get on the, the business side of things. Right. Which I literally had no idea what that meant beyond the business side of things. And when I graduated, the dot-com bubble had bursted. Jobs were not the best. And a company approached me that was wanted my engineering degree, but was saying, you know, we can train you to be a marketer. We can't train you to be technical. Not in the same way that they needed. Uh, and so I was like, I don't know if I want to do marketing. I thought that was advertising. I didn't really know the difference. And you know, the, the hiring manager talked to me. He's like, what do you want to do? And I gave the same thing, you know, five years, MBA, business side. And he's like, well, just, just do that now. And I did. And so I kind of stumbled into product marketing right out of college and did USB controller chips. Um, as a matter of fact, I was the marketing manager for the chip that was the click wheel in the Apple iPod. Wow. Um, if you go way back to that touch wheel that you actually had, uh, that evolved into like touch screens and capacitive sensing, like on all the phones and all the appliances you see today, kind of got in that mode there. But just kind of long term, I realized I didn't really want to be in semiconductors. I kind of wanted to be in software, um, just like the business model better. I thought it was a little bit more fun and kind of fell into digital marketing, um, mm-hmm. more or less, you know, uh, a, a company called Responsus at the time hired me and I transitioned over. And that was kind of my first step into the digital marketing realm. Yeah. So responses was, uh, you spent some time there, product Mm -hmm. marketing. Their focus was more B2B? They sold to B2C brands and they were um, an email marketing company. Okay. So the platform they sold allowed allowed organizations to create personalized emails, just like Salesforce does today. Um, And then later on, responses was acquired by Oracle. Uh, And after Mm. a little bit at Oracle, I ended up coming over to Salesforce. So what was the kind of the genesis of, all right, I want to I want to get in, involved in the product side of marketing, because I think that's a specific angle you chose to take, um, which has carried you to some interesting places, certainly in your seat now as VP of product marketing. What felt like what was an early campaign or something that like struck that with you early where you were like, no, I'm interested in the product side of marketing. Was there something at was it at the semiconductor company? Was it before that? What lit that fire for you? I thought it was a great merger of my technical kind of background, engineering degree. If you want to go totally geeky in high school, I worked at Best Buy selling computers and was later on a PC tech there. Uh, So I I felt like I've always been kind of drawn to the technical aspect of it. And what I love about product marketing, especially for semiconductors and now even high-tech software is I get to market a technical product. And being that it's product marketing versus some, some of the other roles, I get to speak with our product team more and kind of help uh, inspire and shape the direction of the product, the strategy we're going to go. And I get to talk to about customers that about how it actually works. Um, and it isn't just about, you know, this is like an, a specific campaign or a specific tagline, but it gets to be much more in the, okay, we can do these really cool things for organizations, but but how? And let me let me show you how we can do this. Was there a particular marketer or entrepreneur in the early days that inspired you? 
I don't know if there's a specific person, but I was always very appreciative of everything Apple did. And I don't know if it was Steve Jobs himself who said this, but the idea that it's really hard to make things simple, right? And I, I can't remember, and I probably should know this better, but is it, I think it's probably Mark Twain who is credited with the whole idea of like, I would have written you a shorter letter if I had more time. Yeah. Um, yep, and, yep. and, and it's just that idea that like, to make something be simple to understand is really complicated. And I mean, yeah, and who knows if this is actually part of it. Both of my parents were high school teachers. And so I feel like there's a little bit of like, I like teaching, I like coaching. I kind of like that aspect of it. It was just kind of, kind of drove me towards the, the explaining. I don't wanna, I'm not going to be a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher that teaches computer engineering, but it's pretty cool to then use kind of that same drive to try to explain how stuff works to people and why you should care about it. Uh, and, I, and I'm a big believer in stories. Uh, so I think that the more you can tell personal stories, the more someone remembers it. And so I feel like good marketing makes it easy to understand and makes you remember it because it's a story. Mm, I love that. So fast forward a little bit further along, you're now VP of product marketing at Salesforce. The interesting thing from our perspective is that we get to connect with a lot of these Fortune 100, Fortune 10 organizations and kind of see what they're doing in various functions of the business. And then we still go back to Salesforce of like, in terms of like innovating, moving fast to your point, like mm -hmm. there's such a velocity there. It, it reminds me of my days at Google, like where it was, it was fast, but, but Salesforce has an ability to do it across a lot of products and the infrastructures. It's very interesting to me. So fast forward today, kind of in your seat, what's your, how would you describe your role now as the VP of product marketing at Salesforce, what are you looking after? What are you responsible for? What are you excited about mm -hmm. in your role? Yeah, so I, I lead the teams that are responsible for marketing cloud, uh, experience cloud, and digital 360. You know, what, what gets me really excited about it is this the digital marketing space kind of reminds me a lot of like, I was an outsider at the time, but like reading about CRM in the early 2000s just kind of how it really exploded and took off from kind of being a category that was created I mean, kind of in the 90s to being like a, a just bread and butter staple for everyone. And, and I think that a lot of B2C brands kind of led the way with some of the digital marketing early on, but now B2B organizations or any organization is just realizing how, how table stakes it is to communicate at a scale with customers, with prospects, with, with, with everyone out there. So it's a really fun space to be in because it's just it's just changing so fast and it's changed so much in the last 10 years. What kind of gets me excited, and you mentioned some of this with Salesforce, and the way I think about the innovation is what amazes me about Salesforce, and I've been here for over seven years. And so I've seen the company go from 14,000 employees to I think it's like close to 65,000 employees now. Yeah, it's, it's a huge, ridiculous. huge number. Yep. Yep. What I love about Salesforce is more than anywhere else I've worked in my, in my career, they recognize the strategy and tactics that got us here today are not the ones that will get us to the next step. And so there's this, this constant push, not just with the products we launch externally, but even internally with how are we going to do it different than last year? How are we going to do it different than before so that we can keep this growth and keep this scale going? And that just makes it fun because I don't feel like there's a, a Salesforce way to do anything. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, we continue to optimize how to do it. I'm curious on that note, you know, it's so important to be innovative. It's so important to be thinking ahead. You know, we had the CTO of AMD on a couple months ago, and, and he was talking about how they build teams for innovation and how one team's ahead three years, the other team is ahead of them, and they're literally all the iteration. And, and thinking back to 
really kind of how Salesforce is playing as well. It seems like you can be so focused on the innovation part, but then what about the stuff that is working? That's not broken. Do you find that to be a challenge in your role from we got to keep moving, we got to keep going to some of these maybe things historically that worked and are still working and still there? You know, I, I think there's the balancing act of uh, sometimes I refer to it with my team as like the shiny red ball, right? Which is like the shiny red ball can be very distracting and everyone wants to jump to it. And there are times we want focus on that. Um, but then there's you also have to kind of balance that with like the meat and potatoes. Right. Um, I, I, the example I'll give of like kind of what keeps working is I feel like we're still a little away from the new year, but I feel like every year around new year's, I read some predictions about how this is the year that email is dead and how email will no longer be the channel that customers want to use. And I've literally read that article for the last nine years <laughs> and it has never actually come true. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And sometimes I think people don't think email is the most exciting aspect of, of digital marketing anymore, but it's, it is also the, the meat and potatoes, the bread and butter of it. It is, it is such a powerhouse when it, when it comes to everything. But I think you can kind of keep it, the shiny red ball towards it when you start keeping it, like when you start talking about the innovations that it can still have within it. So there's been a ton that you can do as we start looking at marketers having more data and having building their own single source of truth, which marketers used to not have. Well, now your email can become a lot richer. Um, as we start thinking about how artificial intelligence can start you know, helping with the content, now your email becomes a lot more relevant. And so it's the same channel that we've, we've all had. I mean, I still remember my old AOL email address. It's the same channel we've all had forever, but, it, but it's constantly changing. The fact that I can go into an email now and you know, like change the color of a sweater or add it to my cart without actually ever leaving the browser is a huge step forward from what we could do in the past. And so it just, it continues to be such this amazing relevant product. So I think there's ways to innovate in what is kind of, I don't want to say the old, but like in the, in the core, it doesn't always have to be, innovation doesn't always have to be brand new products, brand new spaces or a brand new channel. Mm -hmm. How does this play? I'm curious about the, you know, the being the tactician, the, the product, you know, manager and, and being able to be really in the trenches of the product. So now kind of overseeing a team and overseeing not one, but three products with those three you mentioned, how does that balance play out? How does that flow for you in terms of maybe being more involved on in the product side? Or maybe you do, you do take a deep dive in because you can. I'm curious as, as the, the stage now, what that's like for you. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was interesting. I think if I think back to when I became a manager for the first time, I actually think it was harder when I became a manager of just managers than when I became a manager of individual contributors. Because I felt like at that point, like I could still know everyone in the team, what they were doing, what they were working on. Like, if you will, like work didn't really ship without me knowing about it or seeing it. But then as the team got bigger and bigger, you have to let go of that control. I really had to start trusting, you know, my direction, my lieutenants into what I could delegate to them and they could just run autonomously around that I would never see and what I had to be involved in. And I think now a lot of it comes down to like the priorities and kind of what you said there, which is there are certain things I will dive really deep into um, certain products, certain features, certain review meetings. I will get very, very deep in it. And then there are other ones that I will just stay very high level and get more of the readout of what's going on than be in the trenches making the decisions. And I think a lot of that just is getting alignment with the priorities between our product leader team, our sales leader team, and, and my team, and making sure that when there is that one where all three priorities align, that's probably one where I'm getting deep. Um, where there are ones where there's potentially 
you know, more of a side project for one of the teams than the other, that is one where I'll probably let it run a bit more on its own. I'd love to hear you comment on this alignment of priorities, especially across stakeholders. And and look, we've said it a bunch, we'll probably say it a lot more. Salesforce moves fast. They move fast. Mm -hmm. And so what's some of the things you found helpful? I know other CMOs across the Fortune 100, 500, they'll listen to this and they'll tune in to your response here is, yeah, I'm just curious about how do you align these priorities is there technology supporting this now that's giving you really rich data that's helping you? Or is it really just kind of still trust established amongst the kind of ELT there at Salesforce? But I'd love your experience on that. It's a bit of the old and the new where, okay. and what I mean by that is there is technology that kind of helps us all make sure we're on the same page. But the initial alignment comes, I mean, it stems back to uh, Mark Benioff, our, our founder and CEO, wrote a book, and I don't remember what year it was, called uh, Behind the Cloud. And in it, he talks about this idea of a V2 mom. And it's an acronym that we use, but the the V2 is there's two Vs. So it's your vision, your values. And then the mom part is methods, obstacles, and metrics. Hmm. And so not only do we we write that every year, we write that at a company level, at a team level, and at a person level. So everyone in the company has their own and they all kind of ladder up. And the vision is just that. What is our vision that we're going to accomplish? So Salesforce has a V2 mom. That's what's our vision for the year. My team has a V2 mom. That's what's our vision for the year. We talk about our values. Um, Salesforce is a very value-driven company. Uh, trust is always our number one value. And we just go through a lot on like, what are we trying to do? Trust, innovation, customer success, um, equality. Those are always very, very important values for us. And then the idea of, of methods is, okay, well, what are you going to do? Right? What are you actually going to do to make this vision be there? What is the actual write down in a manner that I can understand what it is? What are your measures? So what are your, what, how do you know you got there? And then what are your obstacles? Which is what's, what's going to potentially stop you from getting there? We write that down early on, but we also do it in a, a grouping together. So there is common metrics and methods between myself, our product leaders, and our sales leaders. And so that kind of gives us that that blueprint for the year when we're all together, we're all on the same page. And then from there, we will build the dashboards that have the metrics so that, you know, if you and I are sitting down talking about how the business is performing, we're looking at the same numbers from the same dashboard. I'm not saying, hey, my number's green and you're saying my number's red. What's going on here? I mean, that's something that that comes up on this show specifically is we talk about sales and marketing alignment. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's an age old topic that comes up a Mm -hmm. lot. And it's, it's cool to see technology catching up in some ways to really support establishing trust, getting on the same page. I love the V2 mom. I think that's a, a really simple but profound way to capture, I think, some things to be on the same page of. So that's, that's really helpful. Let's dive into the report. What folks may or may not know is, you know, this specific show is all we're doing is connecting with CMOs around the country. And mm-hmm. we're finding out what they're doing and how they're working their teams and all the great stuff. Salesforce puts out this annual report, state of marketing report. And I want to dive into this with you because to give people some context, Salesforce surveyed, we're talking about over 8,000 different marketing leaders across 37 countries to just really gauge how this profession is transforming. This report is, I mean, you're talking about strategies and channels and technologies that Anyone with a marketing arm in the organization, they can turn to this in this, this kind of new normal, this new world. So 
it's a strong data set, Bobby. And I, as someone who literally talks to CMOs every day, sometimes more than once a day in different industries, this report's really, really cool. And I, I want to just start high level with you. What's kind of some stuff that stuck out with you in this report and, and maybe even some connection to something that you're doing internally and you've noticed at Salesforce? Because this is fascinating information. Yeah, I, I think the report is, what I think is great is the worldwide aspect, the sample size. This year was our, was our biggest report ever to cross industries, to cross roles. Our statisticians are able to kind of work out uh, what a little bit of I'll call like their secret sauce, which is figuring out what are overachievers doing differently than underachievers. Mm. Uh, and they have a mathematical way they can look at the numbers. And there's a couple of key questions they can ask. And I'm not a statistician, so I probably would not do it quite the justice of explaining it. But there is more or less one of the key indicators is about how happy you are with your spend on digital marketing as a way to help bucket the likelihood you are an overachiever versus underachiever. It's more than just that, but that's one of it there. And you know, this is our seventh version of the report. And for the last several years, we've always seen almost the exact same distribution. We're about 15% is considered overachievers. About 15% are considered underachievers. And the other 70% kind of rides the, the middle of the pack. Um, but it gets some really cool differences on what are they doing differently, right? And so then it's not just the, well, what is everyone's concerns? But like, how are the overachievers handling it in a different level mm-hmm. um, than, than the underachievers? And that, that to me has always been a very, very interesting part of the report when I can start kind of getting to that level of the insight. I think, you know, one of the biggest kind of aha moments also is this was the first year we got to do the report after really the pandemic hit. Last year's report, the survey had gone out before we actually all went into lockdown. And wow. while the report was least released during it, the data was before it. So I think it was really interesting to see how much marketing has shifted, where you see certain uh, strategies or they're like, this didn't change at all versus like everything changed. And there's probably been more disruption this year than I've ever seen before as far as it goes of like, well, what, what was important? Like what strategies changed? What are the metrics that you look at that changed? As you can probably imagine, you know, video dramatically from a channel value went, went up this year yep. um, because, you know, we're just, we're all kind of sitting at home, right? Yep. And, and the way that I think about digital content dramatically changed, the way that happened for Salesforce dramatically changed people joke around internally that Salesforce is an events company that masquerades as a software company, right? We have massive events and our whole model got upended last year. And we had to do a lot of this, not just bring those online, but candidly, I had to take a look at our website and we had to figure out how to kind of revamp some of it. We relied on it, but it probably wasn't as big of a tool as it is for us today. And so suddenly it was, how do I, how do I go through and how do I change the website? And then how do, how do I make it much more dynamic? How do I make it much more, more just a two-way? And it's interesting to see that it wasn't just Salesforce. It was you know, all of the markers in the report doing this. But the other thing that came out in this year's report that I thought was interesting was, wasn't just about like marketing strategies, but just how to work, right? Like we are doing this both from home right now. I have been to the office exactly once in the last year and a half, and it was to go to the studio and it was a very safe time where I was tested and everyone else was tested and everyone was wearing masks. And so the way I have to communicate with my colleagues, with my team, with 
people in marketing, other stakeholders like those in sales and product has totally changed. And it was interesting to see that come through in the report that, you know, marketers are trying to figure out how to work together now, just as much as they are trying to figure out how to do marketing. Yeah. I mean, you said, you said a lot of really interesting things there and there's a lot of staggering data in this report, just the volume. I mean, this, this point here that talks about 75% of marketers say the pandemic has permanently shifted how they collaborate, right? This isn't just like, Hey, we got to duct tape this. This is shifting how we've collaborated before, how we've been productive before. And it's like, here's a big grenade. Now let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. It seems like, so change is, it's that it's everywhere across it's industry agnostic of the impact of this. Did you notice anything else in terms of change on your team or just kind of Salesforce internally when this big shift was coming and you're like, okay, now we got to change almost everything we do and how we deliver it. Yeah. I mean, the way we communicate just dramatically changed. The marketing cloud team has always been a relatively spaced out team. We have a lot of people in San Francisco, in Chicago, in Indianapolis, in Atlanta, in New York. We have people overseas. And so I think we were, we were, we thought we were good. What I, what I quickly realized is we also had people that just were permanently work from home, whether it be, and I had a couple of people in uh, the Carolinas, I had some people in Texas that didn't go to an office. And I don't think I realized potentially how poorly we had kind of kept them up to date on all the information, looped them in until this hit. When I started realizing how much is just was kind of like informally conveyed before through just yeah. kind of banter in the office and yeah. just through travel kind of word would spread. But if you weren't in one of those office hubs, what you weren't getting. So I think that we've moved much more asynchronously now. There's a lot of stuff I think that used to require a meeting that we now can kind of take care of just offline through through kind of chats and through channels. And Slack has been... It was interesting. We, we, we acquired Slack and therefore started using Slack about halfway through this. So mm-hmm. from March of 2020 until about December, I was not a user of Slack. And then from like January on, I have been. And it's been interesting to see like being going, going through the pandemic and having both with and without it, the difference that has made. Um, just because it's been a lot easier to get messages out without calling yet another meeting. And we're a global team. So the meeting time zones don't always overlap. And I think that we've started to see more of a a follow the sun kind of model too, where we're leveraging the fact that there are people in Japan and in Australia and in the UK on the team. And it's not a barrier anymore, but for some stuff, it's like, when I log off, I know they're going to pick it up and mm-hmm. it kind of continues on through. And it's amazing to see sometimes when I come back the next day, like how, how a specific task, especially some of those fire drills might've progressed um, versus everyone just kind of like being online the same set of hours. Has Slack come close to replacing your inbox yet? I don't think it's replaced it yet, but I can tell you, I am the, I don't, I'm not the dual monitor. I don't feel like I'm a stock trader or traffic controller. I have the, the single monitor. I just like, I get a little too distracted. I have all of them there, but I have a big enough monitor that I always have two applications open side by side. And it went from my inbox being the permanent fixture to Slack being the permanent fixture. So I definitely am in Slack throughout the day. And I jump to email every so often to make sure I'm not missing anything. Mm-hmm. And I think it used to be the opposite before, which was email was that tool I was always sitting in. I think it's going to be interesting to see how fast marketing teams can learn in this new environment, right? I mean, the ones that can 
make decisions quickly. Like you said, not have to hop into a meeting if we don't need to, you know, have the right process in place, have the right support, the right trust and be pure, a pure remote play. I think they're going to just, they're going to win faster. If they figure that part out because it's a big change. You can't just run down the office and, you know, check on this or talk to this person about that. You really got to think about every keystroke and, you know, why am I sending this? And am I just disrupting this person? And just, there's a lot of uh, stuff to consider now, right? Mm-hmm. Especially leading a team. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting for specifically thinking about like digital marketing and digital marketers is that the more you work with your team in the digital channels, the more you're kind of replicating and thinking about the experience your customers are having, right? Because if I am talking entirely about how we're going to do a new campaign that is going to be multi-channel and I only talk about it by being shown proofs in a conference room, um, that, that is very different than being an in-digital domain tools to talk about a digital campaign or a digital product or feature that we're going to launch, right? It, it, it kind of, it, it's kind of analogous to the example I gave where I, it was almost like I didn't realize how hard we were putting some permanent at-home employees in being in the loop until we were all in that situation. And then suddenly I was like, oh yeah, how do I make sure that sales knows the latest and right. has the just-in-time enablement? Because you know they're, they're not always going to be in the same time zone as me. They can't pick up the phone and just call me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Talking about customer experience a bit, I know it's it's going to continue to evolve. What have you seen from your perspective in terms of the, the customer experience in the past year and change? And where are we at now? What are you seeing? I think that there has been a kind of convergence between people being like customers moving digital first with those brands and learning more about what brands can do and have done with data. And it was like, it's almost like you have this interesting merger between GDPR and and CCPA recently happening, but then right then also like the digital kind of world, I want to say exploding, but like the move to really being digital first. And you're now, you're kind of, they're kind of colliding at the same point. And I think you're seeing customers a lot more interested in what brands are collecting, how they're going to use their data. And there's a level of, do they trust these brands now that, that is a bigger conversation than I think we've seen in the past. You know, from what we can see is transparency goes a long way. Uh, if a brand is very open on what data they're collecting, as well as how they will use it. And if the customer feels that the data will be used to make their experience better, not just make the brand experience better, like, I mean, like the brand kind of, is it a symbiotic relationship or is it a one-sided relationship? And the more that they feel, yes, I feel that by giving this information, I will have a better experience with the brand. They, they are still willing to pass a lot of that information over. I think gone are the days where you know you really are buying all this data and collecting a lot of this data where customers didn't even know it was being sold. I think that's going to be definitely something we see less and less of in the future and more and more of uh, an individual building a relationship with a brand mm-hmm. and being very transparent on what is being exchanged and what the value exchange is for that data. Yeah, because winning, winning in a cookie-less world you know, it starts to become more of a topic now. We've asked some CMOs to respond to that is how do you win in a cookie-less world? And what are your thoughts on that? I mean, the cookie-less world to me is very much means I need to rely on zero-party and first-party data over third-party data. 
because when we talk about the the cookies here, a lot of times what we're really talking about is that ability to go on any random website and somehow there's someone in the background building a profile on you and selling that profile on you to marketers um, to send information to. When you think about zero party and first party data, you start getting to, I have either proactively given them this data and I'm very well aware of it. Like in zero party data, there's, there's no, there's no accidental understanding of like, Oh, I didn't realize I gave them that data. Like you literally like typed it into a form somewhere and gave it to them. And while there's still first party data is, you know, now we're seeing a lot more on a website. It tells you, Hey, we're, we're tracking the clicks you do. We're tracking the products you go to. But I really think it's amazing that, that, customers now have oftentimes the ability to consent to these types of things, consent to whether that data will be sold. And so what we're seeing, I think, is for some brands that didn't really have a first-party data strategy, they're kind of expediting that change. And that's kind of gets back to what I said earlier, where it's, you know, things that would used to be on the five-year roadmap are now on the 18-month roadmap for a lot of brands for those organizational changes. And that's really pushing marketers to kind of create that single source of truth that marketing really didn't have. You know, you think about Sales professionals have always had, not always, but have for the recent future have had CRM as, mm-hmm. as something that's like their single source of truth. You think about like HR professionals um, and you think about products like Workday and it houses all of that. You think about some of the engineers and you think about some of the products out there that are managing all the tickets out there. Marketers for a longest time didn't really have a single source of truth. Um, they were very siloed data based on the applications. Uh, and in the last couple of years, that has really started to change. And the, the, whole, the whole space is starting to change there where you really want your marketing team, no matter where they are and no matter what channel they're on, working out the same data. And you know, the example would be like, I don't want to get an email from an organization that has topic A and then get a display out for them the next day that's topic B, right? It's not, it's not a good experience. It's not a good use of even the company's money on, on the spend there. Mm-hmm. You want that to be coordinated. But what I think we're seeing is this, it's great for the marketer to have the single source of truth, but how do we get to that next stage where everyone's working off that same set of data? So the service case knows what you've bought on the e-commerce site. The marketer knows that you have a service case open and maybe now is not the time to send you a promotional email, right? And how do we start really connecting all of the dots there so that any touch point you have with the brand is using that same data set of the customer? Are you already seeing use case with AI and kind of conversational AI and that back and forth with customers and being there the way they engage with you? Are you already utilizing that technology? I think there's a lot going on specifically like with some of the, the, the service type bots that are, that are mm-hmm. AI going on there. Yeah. What I've seen so far is, is that if you're going to have AI interface directly with a customer, and if it is trying to be like dialogue and it's, you know, you're, you're typing in chatting, you need to, again, it's kind of that thing of trust. You need to be transparent that you're talking to an AI bot. Where, where I've seen backlash right. is when they try to pretend it's a human. And then you, you can ask it certain questions and you can very much tell right away it's not, right? And, and I think people are okay with it as long as they kind of know. And then they know where the, potentially where that inject button is, where, okay, this, this, is, this worked and I'm great and I'm happy, or this isn't getting me what I want. How do I elevate it? Bobby, 90% of marketers say the pandemic changed their digital engagement strategy. What are some new strategies and tactics your team adopted over the last year and a half? And do you expect these to continue as consumers start to resume more in-person activities? I think one of our strategies, if you, if you can call it that, was speed. Uh, we, just, we just had to go faster. Transformations that we had on our roadmap that were going to take five years, so they got pulled into being 
you know, suddenly 18 months. Um, because when we went to the pandemic, we went not only digital first for a while there, we were digital only. And what we found is that our organization and a lot of companies, their digital experience wasn't two way, it was one way. So customers are talking to like a digital brick wall. We're not listening. We're not adapting in real time to what the clues they're giving us are. They're, they're, they're engaging with us. They're clicking on the site. They're engaging with our messages, but we weren't changing fast enough. And so I think we just really pulled in a lot of these transitions that we're going to take a lot longer to do to make really digital become a two-way channel. There was another pretty interesting stat around like, it was like almost 80% of marketing organizations have changed or reprioritized metrics. What do you think about that trend? And did your team at Salesforce really change and reprioritize metrics in the past year? Yeah, I mean, we had to. I mean, when I think about just the way we were, when I, when I look at like things like how do we generate pipeline for our sales team, a huge metric for us was always pipeline we generated at in-person events. And we suddenly didn't have in-person events. And so it was, how do we make up for that? Right? How, how do I make up for a big hole in a way we used to generate pipe? And some of it, of course, was, was virtual. But then it was also like, how do we even figure out how to measure virtual events relative to the other aspects? And then I think we started looking a lot more too at digital, not just being the creation of pipeline, but also helping with the maturation. So a big thing we were trying to do is show now that most ways our, our prospects were interfacing with our brand, unless it was directly through a salesperson was digital, we wanted to look to an, okay, it's not just about what did we create? It's also about how are we helping move stuff along? And we want to do more of both. Like I want to create more assets that help move deals as well as I want to create more assets that help create deals. It's not, it's not just one or the other. I love that. Kind of looking ahead into, you know, as we kind of wrap up the year here, what are some of the things you're really excited about working on? And what are some of the trends that you're paying attention to? I'm paying attention closely to a lot of the changes that are happening in the digital world beyond just, you know, we know cookies are going going away. Um, but Apple recently announced changes to email privacy. Um, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of really good changes that are going to be coming where again, it's it's giving that that customer, that consumer much more control over how they use their data. And I think when you look at that in conjunction with this idea of really moving third-party data strategies to first-party data strategies, I think there's regardless of what industry you're in, there's going to be a lot of brands that are going to be really retooling some of their marketing strategy, how they're going to do their marketing spend, how are they going to kind of build and collect these personas on customers. So I think that just creates a lot of fun conversations where you can't just you know keep doing it because you've done it this way for the last five years. But instead, we're telling them like literally the way you've been doing it won't be an option anymore. Let's talk about what you can do moving forward Let's talk about how you can move forward in the future and you know, start building these data strategies, start doing it in a trusted manner. And really those things continue to push what I've believed is just critical for any organization for a while anyhow, which is you have to put the customer at the center, right? If you rely on the customers giving you data and not getting it from another source, well, then you have to put the customer at the center of everything you do. It's interesting that that, you know, no matter where, technology takes us or, you know, marketing strategies take us. It's like the thing that remains the center is like that customer and the experience the customer mm -hmm. has with you mm -hmm. and the brand. And I mean, it's the digital evolution of the customer is always right. Like, I mean, I think putting the customer at the center in the digital world is just, is how that carries on into the digital 
domain. Cool, man. I, I did want to touch on the one piece that um, you're really bullish on. I know we're really bullish on this, and that's video. I know with all of our shows, we're doing video with everything now. We saw this before too. You seem to be really bullish on video. Even in the prep call we had last week, you were like, video, video, you know. So I want to kind of hear your thoughts on video and, and kind of the play you think it has. It's also mentioned quite a bit in the report that uh, folks mm-hmm. will see when, when they download it. But just I'd love to hear you kind of riff on video and the importance of it kind of moving forward in terms of a content strategy and storytelling and how you plan to play in that, in that world. Yeah, I, I think it's just the evolution of mediums. And like, I think about, you know, I challenged my team this year to not just produce white papers and eBooks that are PDFs. I mean, like, why do we produce these as PDFs? Well, we do it from a day where we printed these things of literature and we often went to trade shows. And I remember bringing with me on the airplane, the collapsible literature rack that I could like expand out and like fill with brochures and product slicks. And then we kind of went away with that and we just put them online. And then it was like, well, why do I have a PDF if I'm going to read it on my phone or my iPad? It might not look great on there. So we started getting to more interactive websites, which, which is also fantastic. But like video is, is, is an obvious next step for there. Like it's an obvious great way to convey information. You can make it engaging. You can make it easy to learn. I think you need to do both. I think some people learn by reading. Some people learn by seeing. Some people learn by hearing. So I think you kind of got to cover all of your bases there. And, you know, we all use video more in our lives in the last, you know, 18 months. I mean, I think you look at all, all of the different streaming services out there. So I think we, we've already announced that at Dreamforce, we're kind of launching Salesforce Plus, which is our video streaming service. And I kind of view it as like the next evolution of Trailhead, which we launched a few years back, which allowed everyone to learn. It was free. Anyone can get an account. And you can go in there and spend time learning and reading. Well, we can do the, the next best thing now. And with video, I can interview amazing people and hear from them versus asking them to write a long post or a form or anything else there. And I can, I can show it visually with graphics to make it even easier to understand. So I, I just think it's a, it's a natural step because it's a great way to convey your story and convey your information. And I think so much about marketing isn't just about how good something looks or how like snazzy something sounds. But if you do it right, it's, is the message you sent the message that was received? I love that. That's awesome. Cool. So let's do a little lightning round. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You got Bobby Janya, the vice president, product marketing at Salesforce. First question, Bobby, who is the best mentor you've had? Ooh, uh, the best mentor I had, I, I had the opportunity to work for an absolutely amazing marketer named Kyle Christensen, who is now the CMO of Zora. And I think he taught me more than anyone else in my career about what makes really good marketing and what resonates. Question two, who would you most like to meet and why? You know, if I keep it in the kind of professional realm there of, of work, I'd probably say, and I don't know, maybe this sounds cliche, but I, I just think I'd love to meet Steve Jobs and just to see how he actually like conversed, right? Like you see stage version of him. We've read books on him. I have no idea what he was like behind a closed door meeting. Like who was he really? 
but he just seemed to he seemed to get so much it just like it just it seems like you could you could learn so much from him in such a short time mm, i love that do you have a special talent this is a, I'll, I'll give a work talent here i guess i am told by people on the on the team that i work with that i always have like an eagle eye for catching i don't want to say mistakes because i'm the worst speller in the world so that's not the mistake i'll catch but things like when a font is different, when spacing is off, when the alignment is slightly different between two pictures, I'll be like, that's, that's not aligned correctly. And they're like, it's only off by two pixels. I'm like, yeah, it's still two <laughs> pixels. So um, that, that, I guess, is my weird, creepy talent that I'd give. I like it. Um, do you have any superstitions? I have one. So I had, a, I kind of had a part of my life where it was a little rocky and just like things weren't quite working out between career-wise and you know there were some challenges going on in the personal life and i randomly got as actual change at a store a, a two dollar bill and i literally put that two dollar bill on my wallet and it's still in this my wallet to this day and kind of like since then everything's been a lot better and so I, wow. to this day i keep that two dollar bill on my wallet that's awesome um best advice for a first time vp of product marketing find ways to make sure that you can trust and delegate your delegate work to your leaders. Uh, Cause if you are unable to do that and feel like you have to be involved in everything yourself or have you everything yourself, you will drown. Wise words, wise words. What is one trend that excites you about where marketing is heading? It is amazing to see the number of marketing vendors and solutions enter the space. Um, because it just shows how much innovation is still yet to come. Uh, and just the forefront of the excitement that's coming. It's, it's just, you know, I've been in this space for almost a decade. And the amount of marketing solutions that are out there then versus today is, is like orders of magnitude different. And they're all doing new and different things. And we continue to find new ways to innovate in that space. What is one marketing buzzword that you despise? Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> Gotta be at least one. I mean, maybe it's more like uh, marketing and in business kind of lingo together. I, I hate the word synergy. <laughs> just, 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 just not a fan of it. Man, such, such a cool one. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun today. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System 
has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.